Hello and welcome once again to the Morbid Museum. We are your hosts, Katie Mead and Luke Boyd. Hello, Katie. I'm so excited about your topic today. <laughs> I'm excited too. Um, I mentioned it here and there a little bit when in our Patreon episode, uh, when we were doing the Gangs New York episode. But for those of you who still aren't patrons, first of all, how dare you? Second of all, <laughs> what I was talking about is the New York City draft riots, which is a favorite topic of mine. Um, I have just since I first came to understand the relationship between New York City and the Civil War, which you don't really learn a ton about in like regular school. It's really like mm -hmm. advanced history kind of shit and college stuff. Um, I was instantly obsessed I love the book, The Devil's Own Work. Such a mm. such a great, great book. It's by um oh, what the hell is his name? Barnett Schechter, who I don't know anything oh, else. Yes. Yeah. What else has he written? He is also a big Revolutionary War era guy. He's a big American. Yes. Oh yeah. He's the guy who wrote The Battle for New York, the city at the heart of the American Revolution. That's right. That's what I know his name. Yes. From. He's great. That I've never read. He's great. But this book is I haven't read yeah. I haven't read his work, but I've seen him on a on, a, on some documentaries. He's a great talking head. Oh yeah. He's a great talking head. And this book is mm -hmm. exceptional. If and it sounds like you haven't read it, Luke. I highly recommend it. It is one of the best, most in-depth tellings of this story. Um, it dives into not just it it go it follows an interesting timeline where it's the draft riots into uh reconstruction in and how it affects yes. New York. Which is fascinating. Well, that's interesting because the struggles of Reconstruction are in the DNA of the draft riots. Yes, you know, exactly. in terms of the social. So so interesting. On its on its face, you would think, okay, the draft riots is a, is a short lived event. But I was just telling mm -hmm. Luke before we started, this might take me a while. This episode, <laughs> and I may halfway through be like, you know what, guys, we got a timeout, and maybe this is a part two because that's how important this event is. It's the most important event you've never heard of, probably. <laughs> yeah, I think it's glossed over usually in the history books in terms of like the textbooks you would you would you'd read. Yeah, and it's it's an urban event. It's like a yeah. lot of these kind of riotous moments, like the labor strikes. I feel like a lot yeah. of these moments really get glossed because they're like really intense. And they're focusing events that are building and building for years um, and tell us so much about what it was like at a certain time period. Right. And they're we're in favor of more procedural long form or history of wars and things like that. Yeah, you know. because the issue at hand here is, listen, in another hundred years or whatever, how are kids going to learn about the Civil War? How short is that chapter going to be? How much yeah. horrible shit is going to happen between now and then that certain things start to become tiny little cliff notes? We were already complaining how World War One isn't taught well enough. That's probably going to be like a sentence at some point. <laughs> do you think, now this is like a little deep, do you think, like it's a little New World Ordery, do you think that the powers that be downplay or suppress these stories because they act as a reminder or a blueprint that order is fragile and people mm. have a lot of power through violence. You know, there's a big movement in the LGBTQ uh, world to remember that Stonewall was a riot. She in was light a riot, of, people. In light of it today, it was hilarious. In light yeah. of it today being a, sa a sanitized gay Mardi Gras, yeah, it's you like, know, hey, celebrating pride. get pride. Yeah. And it's right. like, no, it's a riot. Violence. And tits might have been out, but not on purpose. <laughs> Multiple days of violence. Yes. And, you know, you have to really dig deep to get the real record of these things. You know, yes. it's not it's not remembered as widely as we might hope or think. And yeah. I wonder if that's part of a larger sort of thought about order, compliance. Um, I think let's come yeah. back to that narrative at the end of this because I think you're you're bringing up something super important that I'd love to have a discussion with you at the conclusion of this episode, which I hadn't planned, but I would love to have it once we give our listeners some more context with this. Let's get to it. Let's get to it. So just to briefly explain for those that don't know, the New York draft riots were four of the most terrifying days in the entire history of New York City. In its wake, it left people dead, homeless, jobless, and with a deep sense of fear for what may happen next. 
while we are currently recording this episode, you guys, it is officially the 160th anniversary of the riots. They occurred right. on Monday, July 13th through Thursday, July 16th. So today is July 13th that we're starting this, which, oh, I just gave myself chills. <laughs> it's the first day of the anniversary, yeah. Yes, and it and what a fucking dark day it was. And we'll we'll get into each day and what it was like as we move along. But um it began as a violent anti-war, anti-draft protest that was simply targeting buildings and entities, and it would turn into one of the most horrifying and barbaric race riots America has ever known. To date, according to historians, it is still considered the deadliest riot in the history of not just New York but the whole of the United States. And mm, that's significant. The only, yeah, the only challenge with saying that with a lot of conviction <laughs> is that, we again, we talked about this a little bit in the Gangs of New York episode. Some of these numbers vary kind of wildly where the general consensus is it was 120 people dead, but more modern takes on that from historians is it was probably like closer to a few hundred going really far out there. Some people think it, think it's thousands. Um, yeah. So the only other thing that's even a little bit comparable is if you were to consider what happened in Tulsa, that's about 300-ish people. Right. Um, but again, those numbers, it's hard to get an official number on that as well. So either way, really bad and definitely the worst in New York. So mm -hmm. to really explain the draft riots appropriately, you do need to have a strong understanding of why in some ways it was actually inevitable given everything that was happening, not just in New York at the time, but in the country at the time. I mean, the country is a powder keg, but New York City especially is in a bad place. And unfortunately, the one to light the fuse is our boo, Mr. Abraham Lincoln. He starts yep. this shit show. This is on him. This is a very, very dark moment and a black mark on his presidency. He made a big boo-boo, y'all. <laughs> so uh, let's start macro. We'll start with the nation and we'll kind of zoom in from there till we get to Manhattan. Okay. Mm -hmm. So to start with, and most obviously, the Civil War is going on. Did you know about this? <laughs> 1863, there's something big going on. Something's happening, you guys. Uh, and not just in Manhattan. History is not just happening in Manhattan. It's happening all over the place. Believe it or not, <laughs> as much as I, a person from New York City, thinks things only happen in New York City, things were absolutely happening in other parts of the country. <laughs> and most of the, and let's be honest, the action isn't happening in New York City. Uh, the South is being decimated. Uh, we're two years in at this point uh, since the southern states declared themselves a confederacy and seceded from the Union. Uh, as we know, when the war begins, there is an incredible amount of confidence on both sides that this war would be quick and relatively easy, that everyone would figure their shit out. That is certainly not the case, as we know, and it ultimately would prove to be the bloodiest war in our history with the most American lives lost. Um, well, to pause on that. Oh, yes. The conventional wisdom of that for many, many years was like 400,000. And in the last 15, 20 years, the scholarship is like, it was upwards of 620,000. I was just going to give those stats, Luke. Good job, you little historian. Well, you got me thinking about the numbers. So sorry to jump the gun. No, but, but this is important. This is really part important. Part of the story, yeah. I, yeah, there are some historians who have even said these numbers have to be higher. Some of them say they 650 is like, Mm -hmm. on the low end and we could probably say 750 to 850 being on the highest end of that um which is wild and also when you're looking at the number of soldiers deaths which is not necessarily even being killed as a casualty of war but by disease and starvation right. there's massive right. starvation um because of blockades and then civilian deaths it's it's mm -hmm. it's awful it's an awful moment in this country. Um, so that's kind of the macro. And we'll come back to the nation a, a little bit here and there. But let's briefly look at New York City. Previously on our pod, we've talked a little bit about New York 
having a little conservative history when it comes to the 19th century, right? Absolutely. Yes. She is not the liberal oasis that we know today. <laughs> She's not one thing or all the other. Yes. 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 That's right. Okay. Status quo. Status mm-hmm. quo. Yes. We love our money, honey. That's what we're all about. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. it's hard to fathom, but a pay- a fair percentage of the population of New York at this time was absolutely Democrat. Again, in the Jeffersonian style of Democrat. Uh, yes. And many of these Northern Democrats were even Southern sympathizers, absolutely racists, mm-hmm. anti-Lincoln, mm-hmm. and therefore anti-war. Um, mm-hmm. There's some really shady characters operating in New York City who have very powerful influence and powerful voices that exist yes. in New York City during this war. It's quite scary. And why are they against this war? Aside from the obvious things of them being horrible racists, as I mentioned, <laughs> uh, racism aside, they have a serious financial investment in upholding slavery because of our dependency on cotton. We yes. need the cotton trade. That is our bread and butter baby. Upstate, we have our textile mills. New York needs cotton to be and that's that's something that's overlooked i think is that the the assumption is that the northern industries were just making shoes and textiles and they needed the raw material provided by the south there was a symbiosis there yeah you know and it's true that the south was very agrarian very aristocratic very slave driven on free labor which only benefits the slaveholders yeah um but these things are so much more intertwined it was already a very it it was it was a nation it it was stitched together it was an ecosystem economically and you couldn't decouple it geographically completely and this is why to some extent we do have to get off our high horses as northerners when it comes to the civil war because yes we are technically on the right side of history now places like where mm-hmm. i'm from new york city uh not necessarily <laughs> we were benefiting greatly from this horrible institution as they loved to call it back then slavery equals extraordinary wealth for much of the north we know that northerners were a huge part of the slave trade right now that, of course, is legal, but we still continue to profit from it. And the implications of losing this free forced labor were terrifying to these uber wealthy white northerners. So throughout the war, they would do anything and everything they could shy of pretty much straight up treason, although some of them really towed that line. <laughs> to try to bring this war to an end because it wasn't going to benefit them. Uh, The everybody's favorite man at the time, Mr. Fernando Wood. Uh, Mm. I guess so be. He was something else. He is Mm -hmm. the mayor of New York for a period of time. And he full on when the war breaks out, He wants New York to secede along with the South. So he'd be a, he'd be a big hit today. Oh my God. Everybody's favorite (laughs) mayor. On Staten Island. (laughs) And Long Island where I live. Um, Mm -hmm. Uh huh. So he really really (laughs) represents that Northern Democrat faction that would be affectionately referred to as copperheads because they're fucking venomous snakes all of them we said this in a previous episode anytime you hear these like goofy nicknames of like political parties from the 19th century it's always because the opposition named them that they were not calling themselves copperheads (laughs) No, no no but they were they were snakes for sure just like you wouldn't call yourself a carpetbagger yeah, no. <laughs> I'm a carpet bagger. I'm here from the north. See my I big am bag? proud of that. <laughs> I, I am overqualified. I'm here to work. <laughs> Ready to work. But the ending, it's important to note that I'm mostly talking about pretty wealthy white northerners. But 
The end of slavery wouldn't just affect the wealthy of New York, but also the working class of New York. Because if all of a sudden there's this population of individuals who are free, free to find work and homes, Mm -hmm. what happens to our work and our homes? What the fuck are we supposed to do? And that and New York is already a haven of 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 refugees since time an overcrowded. So they <laughs> might I add. they know people are coming. They know people are going to come here. Yeah, and that is where our immigrant population enters the chat. <laughs> so, <laughs> so Luke, here is where we dive into our heritage as Irish Americans. And for all of you who are not Irish Americans, I would hope that you remember from your world history classes. The Great Potato Famine. Indeed. Oh, a defining the great moment. Hunger. Oh, yes. Also known as the Great mm-hmm. Hunger or the Great Famine. Uh, that mm-hmm. occurred in Ireland in the years 1845 to 1852. And it is, mm-hmm. again, like you love to say, Luke, a focusing event. It changes the world in a big way. Uh, it yes. certainly changes Ireland for the worse. <laughs> and... Uh, yeah. It changes America for the better in many ways, but, you know, it changes us a lot, New York especially. So for those who need a refresher, it is in the title. The potato famine involves potatoes being the primary food source for the Irish. Yes. Uh, There's a horrible blight on the potato crop, and this ultimately Mm -hmm. leads to widespread starvation and poverty. And, of course... When people are encountering these conditions, and I, I said 1845 to 1852, that is a long time to be living in those conditions. So, of course, if you are fortunate enough to find the means to do so, you're going to get the fuck out of there. You're going to try to move on yes. to the closest place that'll take you. And in the well, lo- I know so many were evicted. So many Irish were evicted because I mean, they were like bowing to these feudal English lords. Well, then there's that. The land so it's the not like yeah. the English were taking care of them, and the English absolutely no. um, are culpable for a lot of the death of the Irish that occurred during the potato famine. Um, yes, but many were able to get out and come to the New World <laughs> to come to the United States, New York City specifically. Uh, by the time yes. the Great Hunger or the Potato Famine ended in 1852, roughly one million Irish were dead, with at least another million forced to leave Ireland as refugees. Mm-hmm. And as we know, many of these refugees, uh, like I said, they would have landed here in New York City. And by 1855, it's said that of Irish-born New Yorkers comprise almost one-third of the city's total population, which is crazy because that is a short period of time to suddenly become that big a piece of the population of new york city so they've got yeah and i think yeah they've got I power think the numbers. country <laughs> i think i think the country's perennial you know they're they're taking over mm. whoever that group is i think it comes from moments like that where it was like unexpected huge tidal wave and it was real there were all of a sudden so many Catholic churches You're gonna and die. so many Irish folks. Yeah. Because my next sentence is, so of course, New Yorkers greet them with arms wide open, ready to embrace <laughs> them. Send me your wretched de- refuse on your teeming yeah. shores. No, not really. Please don't. Oh my God, you're so poor and dirty and unskilled. Get out of here. Lady Liberty's lantern is off. Her torch is off. Do not come in. <laughs> Do not collect two hundred dollars. Do not. Do not pass. Go. <laughs> go. Go. Die of starvation. Go back. Go back. Please, where you came please from. God. Please. Uh, so yeah, J.K. Uh, no one is happy. The Irish have come, uh, except for you know the industrialists who are making a ton of money off of their very cheap labor because the many of these Irish are already poor in Ireland. So they're coming to America with even less. And so they're going to work for a very low wage. This is the same fucking story over and over Mm -hmm. again with every immigrant population Mm -hmm. that comes to this country. Right. And this is why Mm -hmm. there is such a strong anti-immigrant sentiment in this country because the people who have power here take advantage of their situation 
And instead of giving them a fair wage, they pay them more cheaply, which fucks over people who are native to this land. So don't get mad at the immigrants, y'all. It's not their fault. They're just trying to survive like the rest of us. How soon we forget. Always. <laughs> and the worst mm-hmm. of it is how many of the Irish seem to have forgotten <laughs> because Indeed. they had a bad Indeed. time. So let's yeah. talk about that. So the Irish are fucking hated. And not just because of this, you know, the fact that they're going there. They're tucker jobs. I can't stop thinking about that South Park episode. <laughs> they yes. Jobs. They can't do that. <laughs> Oh my god. So <laughs> they we again, if you didn't listen to the episode in the Gangs of New York episode, we talked about one of the main features of the Irish that was so despised because we look at Irish people and we're like, hey, you're white and you speak English. You've got a leg up on most uh foreigners coming That's to right. this country. That's right. But they got this one little thing that no one likes, and that is their Catholicism. And mm-hmm. it's really hard to understand that when you're not a religious person, um, why anyone would give a shit. <laughs> mm-hmm. But this feeling that there's no way these foreigners, this Celtic horde, could come to this country and show loyalty to our country, our government and to a pope it's just yes deeply rooted european shit that we yeah it's it's, it's a busy. it's like a cousin of the king it's like a king same thing as a king yeah you know, it's a religious king yeah yeah so it's just it's it's pervasive and i i think we would all be lying if we said, well, that's not a thing anymore. I think there is still plenty of anti-Catholicism that exists in this country. Now, not to that point, <laughs> mm-hmm. not to the point we're going to discuss today, but this, yeah. when this country, our religious sect, sects of this country, our religious right-wing people, when they talk about Christianity, they are not talking about Catholics. That is not what they mean. Mm-hmm. Recently, I would say it's more of the... Um, evangelist type um but it's really sure. we would be considered a protestant country really yes so that is such a big part of the opposition to the irish migration into this country mm-hmm. so we you start to see and and I'll speak specifically about New York City although this is anywhere in the United States where the Irish tried to settle as we know there's large populations of Irish in Philadelphia in Boston other parts in the, in the northeast specifically um you would see signs that say, would say no Irish need apply i'm sure many of you have heard mm-hmm. that before uh there would be i mean and you can still find them anywhere we'll post some too as as awful as they are they're portrayed in political cartoons at the time by um, Mr. Thomas Nast. This is not his best work. Uh, these racist cartoons portraying the Irish as these mm-hmm. red-nosed apes with these huge foreheads, knuckle-dragging monsters who look slovenly and dirty, disgusting, lazy, you know, just the worst representation of a race of people. And it's so funny because these same terms would also be applied to African-Americans, right? That's right. So, That's right. So there's a reason why, you know, and again, I, I hate that I keep saying this, but when we talked about the gangs in New York, there is a point in the film where the Irish are also being referred to as the N-word because they are oh, yeah. seen as very similar negative stereotypes. So, which is yes. fascinating for what eventually happens here. Um, they, but by and large, this, this is a society that looks at them as being drunk and gross, <laughs> and like, yes. and not necessarily subhuman. Yeah, completely subhuman. Mm-hmm. Yeah, hence the like the, and that's probably also inherited from our English ancestors. Completely. Oh no, the political cartoons started over there. And yeah, we absolutely. are influenced by that because as much as Queen Victoria was indifferent to the potato situation, she did nothing. Mm, never a big potato fan. Sorry. Nothing. I don't see the problem. Nothing. 
<laughs> you know what? That's again her monoculture. Okay. <laughs> you need biodiversity. What the hell's wrong with you people? Can I tell you something? <laughs> Just grow one crop. As Go someone ahead. who has like a fair amount of Irish blood running through their veins, I'm not a big a potato fan. How about that? I know. I uh, I used to really loathe like a baked potato. I thought it was the most blandest thing. It tastes like dirt. And I'm like, you have to work. You have to work so hard to make it palatable. So hard. I'm like, you're injecting so many condiments. There's so much work going on. I'm like, this is dumb. Give me something that fit the French fry. Beautiful, Hello. beautiful potato. Roast instrument. that potato. Okay? Perfect. Put some salt and roast. Yeah. It. Why are we fucking and around? There you go. The f- Irish and the French every time. That wins. That wins. Sorry. And yeah. Do you can you trace your people? When did your Irish people enter this continent? My Irish past is so confusing <laughs> because my uh-huh, uh-huh, my family uh-huh. went like Ireland, France, France, Canada, Ireland, Ireland, England. You are the French. You are the French fry. You are the Irish, I'm the Irish French, French fry. <laughs> I am fairly certain we did not make landfall in New York City until the 20th century, the, but the early 20th century. Right. So I think we missed out coming to New York during this particular shit show of the night of the mm-hmm. 1850s um which mm-hmm. is really the height of irish hatred in this country i would say yes it is yeah it is so and speaking of which <laughs> let's get into some of the people who took it real seriously it this was so intense that political parties were created to oppose the immigration of the irish and that mm-hmm. would be the Know Nothing Party. Some of you may remember that from AP History. They're a nativist yep. group obsessed with their origins being rural Americans, as we have said. Ancestors of the Proud Boys. Oh, yes. These, uh-huh. are, these are your MAGA moms and dads. <laughs> these are the OG maggots. <laughs> maggot, maggot, great, great granduncles. Oh, yeah. <laughs> And this know-nothing party was named so adorably because when you would talk to them about their politics, they would say, oh, I don't know what you're talking about. I don't know. Fucking asshole. (laughs) I know know nothing but my country and only my country. Mm -hmm. This horrible slogan. Like, I only know my country. Like, this most xenophobic thing. Yeah, it's disgusting. Disgusting people. Terrible. And their big platform was, we will only elect native-born citizens addendum those who are not catholic native-born citizens so we don't even want even if you're born here if you're catholic you can get the fuck out so there's this right so the state of maryland is canceled because <laughs> <laughs> maryland was maryland is super catholic and it was a catholic colony yeah fuck <laughs> right it's tough they really felt this no these no nothings they really felt that Mm-hmm. This is a Protestant country, that there's no yes. ifs, ands, or buts about that. And from that idea would come this deeply held belief that there was no way that you could be Catholic and American, which is wild to me. Wild, because the world we we grew up in in the Northeast is so tribally Catholic, like default Catholic. It's so It's so deep here. I mean, you know, the Protestants are here, but we came from very Catholic worlds. Yeah. New York is very Catholic. New York now, is super you know, Catholic. Is is. The boroughs specifically <laughs> are yes, very absolutely. Catholic because that's when, yeah. when we were too poor to keep living in the horribleness of Manhattan and the slums got too gross. We were the intrepid ones who were like, let's just fucking move out. Let's go to the boroughs. Let's get the hell out of here. That's why there's so many. Little Italy's and uh, you know, little Irish enclaves in various boroughs. Irish pubs. <laughs> pubs who still have Irish people working in them. Thank you very much. Absolutely. <laughs> Freshies from the off the boat. Yeah, and yeah, guys, just so you point. know, if you ever come here, if you get into a pub and the bartender is in fact Irish, you found a good one. Stay there. <laughs> yes. You always yes. want the authentic one. So yeah. Yeah. These guys suck. And continue to suck. And like I said, it's really these 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 1850s are the worst of it. And so bad that actually it's Abraham Lincoln, pre-president Lincoln. He was one of the many Americans who was so disturbed 
by this nativist movement. In a letter that he wrote in 1855, he said, as a nation, we began by declaring that all men are created equal. We now practically read it, all men are created equal except Negroes. When the know-nothings get control, it will read, all men are created equal except Negroes and foreigners and Catholics. When it comes to this, I should prefer emigrating to some country where they make no pretense of loving liberty. To Russia, for instance, where despotism can be taken pure and without the base alloy of hypocrisy. Oof. I fucking love him. <laughs> Sliced. He Roasted. shaded everyone <laughs> in that letter. <laughs> Y'all are racist. Y'all are xenophobic. Y'all are dicks. <laughs> wow. So, yeah, it's bad really bad. And I'm not just saying like, it's hard to get a job, this and that. There's murder. I mean, there are violent, violent protests, anti-Irish protests, something called Bloody Monday mm-hmm. goes down. I mean, it's a scary time to be an Irish individual from yeah. the 30s through the 50s. And it has gotten better by the 60s, which again is why Gangs of New York doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Because <laughs> it's really not that bad in the five points area specifically at that point like it's really more political maneuvering down there than hardcore yeah. native on Irish. and there was also inter-irish factions so sometimes <laughs> the irish gangs would kill each other more yeah. than the anglo anglo-irish conflict which it's a better movie oh it's way better certainly <laughs> the nativists versus the irish but like yeah it's patty versus patty you know i love a good <laughs> patty on patty <laughs> patty smackdown patty v patty <laughs> <laughs> yeah patty mccool versus patty mccool oh. forget about oh, it oh no oh oh and just so you don't forget the scotch irish don't forget scotch don't irish. ever count out yeah. the scotch irish <laughs> they're, mm, they're mm-hmm. coming up for you my daughter technically That's is right. scotch irish because my husband's family is largely scottish so mm. she looks it too that explains a lot about his southern aristocratic leanings oh <laughs> <laughs> some research on that <laughs> it's gonna leave that right there i think everyone knows what that means anyway so despite all of this hatred that is poured at their feet when the civil war breaks out many of the irish of new york willingly volunteer to fight mm, because bless them they are saying we are citizens of this country and we love our we country are we love yes. yeah we are americans and so if i have to do this to prove that loyalty i will fucking do it and so there there's this idea that maybe they'll see us differently now maybe this will improve the irish reputation if they if they actually are fighting alongside us and see that we are just as brave and loyal to this nation right yeah. for those who immediately yes. arrived in the country they don't have that same level of loyalty yet, but they do look at it as, whoa, y'all are getting fed? <laughs> three squares I a get, day? I get three squares a day? Two, two hots and a cot? I'm in. <laughs> <laughs> Give me that hard check. Mm, that looks great in my whiskey. Mm. <laughs> nom, 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 nom. Those bugs are great protein. Oh, uh, yeah, and they're getting a wage. So that's yes. far more than what they had gotten in Ireland. So mm-hmm. it's, yeah, they're, they're part of the fight, whether yes. for those reasons or for more heartfelt reasons. <laughs> uh, and as I already said, the Irish are citizens. They are given an immediate path to citizenship, which is not something that we are used to today at all. No. We seem to make it very hard for people to become citizens of this country. But then it was basically like, Proving your loyalty, saying, yeah. can you take an oath and say you're ready to become a citizen? Okay, part of you becoming a citizen does mean that you can serve in the army. And we may draft you to serve in the army if we ever need to do that. And I think right. a lot of that was one of those situations where I'm starving, I'm tired, I'll sign whatever the fuck you want me to sign. Sure. Give me the I damn pen. Yeah. As long as you don't kick me out, I'll say whatever you want me to say. Of course. Right? <laughs> Head your position. Yes. Yeah. And so, and, it was even Irish sometimes doing it to other Irish when they got to the country to sort mm-hmm. of uh, make money for enlistments mm-hmm. and things like that. Um, what they show, showing gangs of New York, and and we we did chat about this that immediately you come in, you become a citizen, they put you in a fucking union uniform, and you're off to Virginia. That 
did not happen. <laughs> that makes a mockery of the good bureaucracies that were long in place in this country that were hella slow and were even slower back then. No, and by the 1860s, there was so much protection in place for Irish immigrants being taken advantage of. Uh, there were entire Irish societies. societies, yeah. Yeah, there were people who were there who were like, hey, you just got off the boat. I'm going to help you find work. I'm going to help you find a place to stay. That's right. And, you know, that earlier, that absolutely, I could have seen that being a thing. If the Civil War had happened in like 1949, yeah, mm-hmm. I could see that happening. But we're past that those early stages of the large yeah. Irish immigration. Uh, so, yeah, being a citizen also meant potentially being pulled into war. And speaking of which, it's 1863, you guys. The <laughs> North, including New York City, is not doing great. <laughs> they are having... There a real bad time. (laughs) Mm -hmm. This is a vicious, awful, gritty, disgusting war. And the nation is fatigued. All that excitement and fervor for the good fight that was there when the war initially broke out, people were fucking running to fight. Yes. That long gone. People are done because it's pretty clear at this point, oh, everyone's dying in this war. This is bad. I don't want to do this. (laughs) And it's uh, people are unwilling to fight or return to battle if they've, you know, done their time or whatever. What's the the word for that? (laughs) There's actually a good word of like you served and then. You're kind of out, I guess. You're furloughed, or you're you did your term. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, whatever. Okay. Sorry, military people. You know the words better than I do. Uh, anyway, uh, so this unwillingness to fight, alongside already these these losses, are so tremendous. The armies are weak. The North is mm-hmm. having a bad go of it, and so it becomes very clear to President Lincoln that the only way through this is via a draft. And this is a scary moment. <laughs> the first draft in nation's history. It's the first draft we've ever had. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And as we all know, drafts are never super popular. <laughs> no. <It's> scary. <laughs> but regardless, the Congress pushes through the Enrollment Act, also sometimes referred to as the Conscription Act, mm-hmm. in March of 1863. And that would require men to essentially sign themselves up so that if there is a draft lottery, their name can be pulled. And I didn't write down the ages, but it's something, it's something like 20 to, is it like, it's not 65, that's too old. Is it like 50? I don't remember the Civil War That ages. could be right. Yeah. 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 I was like, 65 is too old in Civil War time. 65 is too old. <laughs> Militia in the revolution was 16 to 16. <laughs> I know. Yeah, no. I know my mind always lives in the colonial eras, so that's why I couldn't think of this before. Yeah, definitely a more truncated uh, range. Yeah, for sure. Mm. So, you know, that's not great. Because usually, you know, if you can't get enough people to volunteer to fight in your war, it's because people don't fucking want to go. Whether that's out of fear, being a conscientious objector, or concern for your family. Those are all valid reasons to not want to fight in a war. That's right. But the government don't care. <laughs> we need we need the men. We need the bodies. Yeah, we don't give a single shit. Robert and, E. Lee keeps churning out, you know, recruits. They're they're passionate down there in the, in the south. Oh, oh yeah, because they are they are fighting for their life mm-hmm. in a way that we're not. Because there's plenty of people up here like just fucking let them go, like just yeah. let them go. Goodbye. And it's an, it's an abstraction. It's not visible to us up here. No, no, and. You know, this is around the time also where Lincoln feels like, okay, so maybe to boost morale and also weaken the South, maybe I'll also free the slaves. <laughs> so the Emancipation Proclamation is now on the table. And for some people, this does give an extra oomph, an extra boost to feel like, well, now this is a righteous cause. This is a holy cause mm-hmm. for 
freedom and it it brings back that revolutionary war inspirational stuff and it is also going to weaken the shit out of the south but not affect the border states at all Let's correct that. it only we it only the slaves in the southern southern states right um but it's not like all of a sudden everyone who wasn't enlisting is enlisting so the draft will be necessary mm-hmm. so oh, oh, oh. This this issue above all else, a draft is bad enough, but it was such an unpopular idea that it was believed by Lincoln and the Congress like, okay, so here's what we'll do, because a lot of people aren't going to be cool with this. We'll make it so that you can pay your way out Uh if you can just dodge this draft if you've got $300 in your pocket. Or uh, we'll give you an even bigger break if you could get some other fucking sucker to go in your place. There you go. You got two outs. And if you can't figure out either of those two outs, well, brother, that's on you. (laughs) (laughs) And the privileged men of New York have no problem. Theodore Roosevelt Sr., Thee, he paid for a second too. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Teddy Sr. sneezes and $300 come out. (laughs) It's like, I'm good. Meanwhile, his wife is is a Southern woman, Martha Bullock. She's a Confederate whose oh, her I mean, brothers are all fighting in the war. That's a good story. Oh, uh, yeah. Story. I mean, that's something to think about, Luke. Um, so, yeah, it's this <laughs> it's being pushed forth as it's your duty as an American. Mm-hmm. You know, this is this is part of being a citizen of this country is fighting for this country unless you have money. <laughs> 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 So this goes against everything that we've been sold as Americans, that all men are created equal. This law says that all are equal unless... Unless you, you can poor. pay. You poor. That's right. Unless you pay or you poor. You're a pavo. Yeah. Yes. A pavo. Oh, my God. Do you follow that account? I love The that. guy who talks about pavos. Hi. Hi. You're poor. <laughs> Let me tell you how you're poor. Let me tell you I'm how like, you I know get, you're poor. I want to get into that bed with you, baby. You're cute. <laughs> Since blankets are the cutest. It's so cute. (laughs) So I found a a great little excerpt from everyone's favorite Debbie Downer, Howard Zinn. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) The Mac Daddy of revisionist history, y'all. But in the The best way. The Mac Daddy of Debbie Downer. Social history for the win. Yes. (laughs) Awesome. In A People's History of the United States, he says, in the summer of 1863, a, in quotations, song of the conscripts was circulated by the thousands in New York and other cities. One stanza said, we're coming, Father Abraham, 300,000 more. We leave our homes and firesides with bleeding hearts and sore. Since poverty has been our crime, we bow to thy decree. We are the poor and have no wealth to purchase liberty. Which is (laughs) powerful and really does work today as well. And here's the thing. Once people start writing songs about your political actions, <laughs> you're fucked. <laughs> yeah, you go from Lincoln and Liberty to conscription song. Oh, how the mighty have fallen. You are fucked. <laughs> it's not going to go good, you guys. Yeah, I mean, Lincoln is being burned in effigy in response to this. Bad. Bad. <laughs> so, there are kind of a few different ways you can tell this story. You can kind of breeze through and talk about it as the property violence, people violence, and kind of then say, and this is how it ended. But because I am so passionate about this topic and and Luke has a lot of knowledge in this topic as well, I really do want to kind of do a day by day Mm -hmm. of the riots because each day is its own pile of crazy that needs to be discussed. (laughs) Yeah. Day Bidet. <laughs> <laughs> so let's uh, let's get to it. I'm going to focus on the main happenings and horrors of day one, and I'll see where we get because we may the have horrors, to the horrors. <laughs> the horrors. <laughs> so the first draft lottery occurs on July 11th. So that's a Friday, Saturday. That's a Saturday. Spooky. That's Saturday, which is weird that they do it on a Saturday. That feels like such a Friday, you know, when like your boss tells you on Friday, okay, we've got a really big meeting on Monday. Uh, we're going to have to make some cuts. And it's like, 
oh, what? <laughs> it's like, at least get, at least get on the, the weekend. weekend. Get on the weekend. the weekend to stew and be upset. No, we're going to do it on a Saturday fucking morning. Thanks, guys. And you've made me late for work because it is the 1860s and I still have to work on Saturday. <laughs> <laughs> what is a weekend? <laughs> what is a weekend? A totally different side of the aisle where you don't work, so you don't know what a weekend is for. <laughs> anyway. So the first draft is occurring on Saturday, July 11th. And what's really interesting is before this even starts, Lincoln does consider the fact that me. I should send some troops just to prevent any drama from going down because New York City can be a little cray cray. Mm -hmm. And we know that there's some unhappiness at the moment with what's been going on. Uh, but you know what? He decides against it because he feels like just the presence might be enough in and of itself to incite anger. So maybe good, that's good thinking, not a good Lincoln. idea. Good thinking. Plus, uh. <laughs> there aren't really any troops around because <laughs> what else has been going on in the beginning of July, Luke? The uh, Battle of Gettysburg, July 1st, 2nd, and 3rd. Huge. Kind of a big Huge deal. deal. <laughs> Hundreds of thousands of men in Pennsylvania. And the drive, the drive with our modern speedy cars from here to Gettysburg is how many hours? Still too long. A Four bunch. hours? Yeah. <laughs> it's long. It's far. So it's turn that to walking and horses. Mm -hmm. It's real far. Bloody <laughs> so, feet. Fucking feet. Mm -mm. Oh. oh. Poor, poor <laughs> so yeah. Uh, everyone's out of town. <laughs> <laughs> the military is engaged elsewhere. Whatever military is there are all like chilling at their forts. You know? Like yeah. there's no one in the city proper. No. So... Castle Clinton. Yeah, he's, so he's like, exactly. So he's like, you know what? It's going to be fine. It's going to be fine. It's going to be fine. It, it wasn't fine. No. <laughs> so, so the draft begins in what is now known as the Hell's Kitchen area of New York City. Mm. 1,200 names are drawn, including mm. many Irish immigrants and most importantly, firemen. And why is that important, Luke? What's special about firemen? being pulled in this draft they're irish firemen, too <laughs> firemen never ever would be considered for military service because mm. they're already doing a service mm. so for you to then force them into service through conscription is mm. fucked very disrespectful they, and they as firemen today still are uh angry <laughs> they handle it not great. <laughs> As they said in 2002, they said in 1863, we're not leaving. We're not leaving. <laughs> we're not going to Virginia, okay? <laughs> we're not leaving. Fuck you. We're not leaving. No. And yes, also Irish. It's so an Irish, Irish institution in New York. <laughs> yes, even though it was probably a little more racist, I guess, Some at the time. Yeah. never change. <laughs> That's it. So the next lottery will occur on Monday. And of course, everyone is so excited. <laughs> What's really funny about this is, so what you just did was you told 1,200 Irish firemen <laughs> and poor working class dudes that they're going to go fight and die in a war. And you've given them the weekend to think about it. <laughs> right, right. So of course, they're going to do what they do. And they get drunk. <laughs> yeah. The taverns are full. And, and the taverns are full. And always, <laughs> the New York City tavern is the epicenter of plotting and planning and dangerous discussion. It is. Always. It's where you go to get pissed off. Yes. <laughs> yes. You will never be more inflamed than in an 18th or 19th century tavern <laughs> in New York City. <laughs> Absolutely. So they get hammered and start strategizing. <laughs> so Monday morning, this is what is considered officially day one of the yes. riots. Monday morning, the 13th. They have a rally at Central Park and decide then they're going to march down to, towards the draft office. And they set fire to it. And you're going to hear me say that a lot because they <laughs> set fire to everything in New York City during this riot. 
And here's the tricky thing with that. If the fire department is setting the <laughs> fires, <laughs> you're kind of fucked. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that was kind of an interesting move there. What does one do when the fire department sets the fires? It's not great. No. Other fire departments have to come and try to put out the fires. It's really not good. So the first official physical assault on a person occurs when police superintendent John Kennedy arrives at the scene. Mm. And literally, he has barely stepped foot out of his carriage when he is recognized and beaten. Mm-hmm. And left for dead. He he almost dies. In fact, he misses the rest of this week because he is convalescing. Yeah. Almost dying in yes. his home. Yes. So, you know, we always joke about a fireman policeman competition, but this is. <laughs> this is the next level. Woo! This and is... this is actually, this whole week is a kind of fireman versus cop week. <laughs> yeah. I think the that's a really valid targeted. point. Yeah. Targeted heavily. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So this is the beginning of the terror. It's 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 anarchy from this mm-hmm. moment on. Uh the police commissioner takes over, and there are only eight hundred police on duty up against what would ultimately be upwards of fifty thousand rioters throughout the city. That is scary. Yeah. Now that is scary let alone then, with a much smaller population, right? Yeah. Per capita, it's a big, big amount of people. Yeah. New York City, between its various New York regiments that aren't there, the Coast Guard, all tied up in a way, New York City is basically incapable of defending itself against Mm -hmm. this mob. And the mob knows it. Yeah. And so this is where this we see this terrifying shift from anarchy it to just being about the draft and being pissed about the draft to now we're going to take it hard for you to get away. They started mm-hmm. killing horses on the streetcars mm-hmm. so that you couldn't escape. Yeah. It's scary. It's really scary. Yeah. Buildings are being set on fire and torn apart. Uh, places in particular that are being targeted are uh, police stations, mm-hmm. homes of the wealthy, black tenements, boarding houses, churches and schools, businesses that catered to black people, homes of known black sympathizers. Uh, and you have, I mean, this is just that they're being looted at best, yeah. being completely torn apart at worst, set on fire as like a grand finale. They mm-hmm. are taking paving stones off the literal streets to smash windows and eventually also assault people. Right. This violence is escalating dramatically and, and quickly. And another business that is targeted a lot are newspapers in New York, specifically ones that have made it very clear mm. that they are anti-slavery and pro-war. Mm-hmm. Republican. So, yes, Republican rags. And that would include mm. the New York Tribune, whose office was looted and burned. And then the New York Times, the failing New York Times. (laughs) 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 They were doing darkness, 1863. It sure does. Uh, And the New York Times, who they have the best story of this whole thing. They had the staff holding fucking Gatling guns when -hmm. the crowd came. So those motherfuckers rolled up on the New York Times ready to fight. And they're like, yeah, what are you going to do? What are you going to do? <laughs> yeah. Here's the first really? and second amendments, assholes. Here we go. <laughs> <laughs> and it's so funny because you think of every pretentious prick who's ever worked at the New York Times. Imagine one of them holding a Gatling. <laughs> I kind of love it because you don't need to aim. You just need to crank. No. <laughs> yeah. And that was also brand new. That was expensive. That shit was brand I know. new. I know. Mm, impressive. And impressive. I, be- I believe Horace Greeley himself was holding one. Horace. I believe that. I believe that. Horace. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, no. He was in it. He was in it. For real. He was in it to win it with his chin beard. Yeah. He was going to fight for that paper. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So they they got the crowd to fuck off. And uh, it's so awesome. And I, I hope I hope someone still has one of those Gatling guns. I've never seen anything like that. 
<laughs> leftover. What a better like monument to the defense of journalism. I love it. What if what if the basement of the New York Times is just 19th century weapon? <laughs> yeah, just a dusty powder like a powder magazine and ammo shed. Yeah, the oh, firing I, range I, down there for stressed out editors. Yeah, I am here for it. Um, but these are all just places in material things. Right. The mob becomes truly scary as it begins to indiscriminately target individuals. If they saw anyone who seemed like they maybe had money, maybe they're wearing nice <laughs> clothes, mm-hmm. riding in a carriage. Mm. Police officers were humongous targets. Known abolitionists. They looked for people. They went to people's houses. If they knew where they lived, they immediately attacked their houses. Yes. And a lot of that goes uh, to the abolitionist newspapers, too, and the publications. Absolutely. And uh, a word that I had not totally been familiar with, uh, amalgamationists, which apparently mm. was a whole m- movement of individuals mm. who wanted the intermarrying of races, who were proponents of that. Uh, and so there were white women who were married to black men specifically who were targeted. Wow. Which is crazy. Wow. And I mean, these were people who they weren't just trying to scare them. They were trying to beat them to death. Yeah. Like th- this is very, very frightening. Yeah. Um, there's so much that happens. There's so much violence that escalates, but I would be remiss if I didn't say that, the primary target of all of this violence is the black individuals living in New York City at the time. Yes. And there's multiple reasons why they become the focus. First and foremost, black people are hated (laughs) by everyone who is white in America, regardless of your immigration status, right? It's that, you know, preferred superiority of skin color and even the irish as hated as they were they felt like their one card they had to play Mm -hmm. well at least we're white and they're one step up better than you that's right yeah that's right exactly even though they weren't necessarily looked at that way in new york city um, by many but they they wanted to step on the people beneath them who they thought was beneath them Exactly. And that's how, that's why, not how, that is why the Irish are not viewed the way they are because they learned, well, the best way to get pulled out from underneath the, uh, this negative stereotype of the Irish is to go shit on someone else. That's so right. We're going to go after the black people. There's and a hierarchy. Go and that, the Chinese people. <laughs> right. The hierarchy messes up my position, but I'm, I'm higher than someone on that hierarchy. Yeah. And for this specific event, one of the biggest issues of all was black people aren't citizen, so they do not have to be drafted. They can't be drafted. Mm. So they are not going to be forced to fight. So all of this anger and angst that these Irish immigrants have against these black people being set free are going to take our jobs, they're going to take our homes, they are inferior to us as a people and now you're telling me i have to go fight in this war i wasn't even born in this fucking country and i have to fight in this war and this fucking this entire war is happening because of these black people as if the black people chose any of this right so it's just it's they become the scapegoat for this anger and angst yeah and i think that's where i'm gonna leave it for now because what happens next is so insane and so terrifying that it really deserves a fair chunk of time. And I wouldn't be doing it justice if I felt like I had to rush through it right now. So yeah, it's a big story. So I it's think you've said it really well. Yeah. And we got to some of the, we got to at least some of the rioting <laughs> sort the of riot the gentle has begun. Ooh. Yes. Um, the gentle. And this is the gentle part of the rioting so far. We're about to get to the really mm-hmm. nasty shit. So um, yeah, to be continued. Part two coming next week, coming in hot next week. Luke, I know you're heartbroken that you have to wait to do your next episode, but you know. <laughs> It'll have to Sorry. wait. It'll have to wait. I'll be have my little ride over here. <laughs>
Thank you for listening to this episode of the Morbid Museum Podcast. Please remember to rate, subscribe, and review the Morbid Museum Podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. Please connect with us on Instagram and social media, uh, TikTok at the Morbid Museum. Please send us an email at themorbidmuseum at gmail.com. And please tell your friends about us and join us on Patreon. Become a Patreon subscriber, a more buddy for $3 a month. Uh, until next time, we'll see you for another gallery talk inside the Morbid Museum Podcast. Bye, everybody. Bye.